There are real dangers out in the world, and that's why we have to be careful at this and can't just dismiss it. But that doesn't mean that every balloon poses you know, a ginormous threat. This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, February 14th. I'm Samantha Sherris, and that was Dakota Wood, a senior research fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. Over the weekend, three objects were shot down over the United States and Canada. The news comes just under a week after the U.S. shot down a Chinese spy balloon off the coast of South Carolina on February 4th. So what exactly is going on? Were the objects all the same? And are we headed for a war with China? Dakota Wood is joining today's show to answer these questions and much more. We'll get to my conversation with Dakota right after this. As conservatives, sometimes it feels like we're constantly on defense against bad ideas. Bad philosophy, revisionist history, junk science, and divisive politics. But here's something I've come to understand. When faced with bad ideas, it's not enough to just defend. If we want to save this country, then it's time to go on offense. Conservative principles are ideas that work. Individual responsibility, strong local communities, and belief in the American dream. As a former college professor and current president of the Heritage Foundation, my life's mission is to learn, educate, and take action. My podcast, The Kevin Roberts Show, is my opportunity to share that journey with you. I'll be diving into the critical issues that plague our nation, having deep conversations with high-profile guests, some of whom may surprise you. And I want to ensure freedom for the next generation. Find The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get your podcasts. Joining today's podcast is Dakota Wood. He's a senior research fellow here at the Heritage Foundation's Center for National Defense. Dakota, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you. Thanks. Yes. Now, let's talk about these balloons. As of this recording, the U.S. military has shot down four objects over the last week and a half. The first was, of course, that Chinese spy balloon that drifted across the U.S. uh, for a few days. And then on Friday, another one was shot down over Alaska. On Saturday, an object was shot down over Canada. And then on Sunday, we had one that was shot down over Michigan. Dakota, first and foremost, what can you tell us about these four objects? Are they all the same? What's going on? (laughs) Well, the government's reporting they're different. So the very first one, this Chinese spy espionage surveillance balloon, uh, was very, very large. The balloon itself, a couple hundred feet uh, in length, and it was carrying a box, uh, roughly a ton, so 2,000 pounds, uh, so a very large container. Uh, sometimes it's been described as the size of three buses, you know, so it gives you a visual image. And it had a large solar array. So just like you see a, a space station, you know, with these big arrays to give it solar power. So that's the size of this thing. The, the other three have been much smaller. You know, think of like a small car. Uh, dramatic difference. So the balloons are going to be smaller. They're not having to carry as big a payload. What's common amongst all these things is these weather balloons, if you want to think of them like that. The material is kind of a rubberized mm-hmm. material, right? So there's not a whole lot of metal. It's you consider kind of a soft object instead of a hard object. So if you have a radar system that's looking for stuff in the sky, these are not commercial airliners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to get a radar return on a big rubbery balloon. Uh, these things are going to be the same temperature as the surrounding air. So you don't have a hot jet exhaust engine for a 
temperature differential, uh, and again, the metallic component on this, you know, not a big re- return. I guess the last uh, characteristic is the speed. So uh, you probably saw in the news that uh, NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, has tweaked its radars. So we're not looking for flocks of geese, you know, or ducks or whatever, right? They're looking for, uh, in the old days, Soviet bombers, you know, or Russian military aircraft or a missile coming in. It's hard, it's hot, and it's moving really fast. Mm -hmm. And so that's what these radar systems are looking for. So now that we're dealing with balloons, soft, Mm -hmm. cold, (laughs) moving really slow, uh, you you weren't to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And so you tweak the software to look for slow, soft, cold yeah. things. Yeah. And now this stuff starts popping up on the radar scope, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's a good way. And, and these these altitudes, mm-hmm. you know, the Chinese was at 60 some odd thousand feet. Uh, another one was about 40,000 feet. And then I think this last one might even have been at 20,000. Yeah, like I think so. I, yeah. yeah. And so uh, the varying heights, uh, an average airliner flies about 30,000. 35,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, Mount Everest is 29,000 feet, right? So if something like the Chinese balloon was at 60,000 plus, twice the height of Mount Everest, there aren't even very many military aircraft that can fly that mm-hmm. high. So, you know, people talking about, why can't we just grab the thing? There ain't a helicopter built in, in the world mm-hmm. that can probably get above 25,000 feet. Those are very specialized, like mountain rescue, mm-hmm. you know, climber yeah. crews and stuff. So things just don't fly that high. And that's why these balloons are such an effective way to carry big boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the box can have anything, you know, radio gear, cameras, uh, sensors to pick up on, you know, thermal activity or whatever it might be. So that's just kind of a roundabout discussion of what these things appear to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last three smaller than the Chinese. Uh, the government hasn't attributed them to a source. Everybody kind of suspects that they're China, mm-hmm. but we haven't been explicitly told that. So mm-hmm. right now, they're just kind of unknown things. Uh, the furor that came up with not shooting down the China balloon, you can bet the administration is not going to make that same mistake. And so they're being much more aggressive in how we deal with them. Yes, I was going to ask if we have heard anything else about where these last three mm-hmm. objects, balloons, have uh, come from. Uh, as of this recording, at least, we we don't know that information. But w- w- can you speak to um, you know the reaction that we saw? Obviously, the the Biden administration received some backlash, some mm-hmm. criticism for not initially shooting down uh, the Chinese spy balloon when they first saw it. It was eventually shot down off the coast of South Carolina. So can you talk a little bit more about the response that we've been getting from the Biden administration? Yeah. So where I think the Biden administration has continued to make missteps is is in just not being honest. You know, if you don't know something, just say, I don't know. And it actually enhances your credibility. Right. You know, this legitimacy. And at least I can trust that you're telling me something because you're not trying to pull one over on me. And, and so the Biden administration uh, has just been very vague. Uh, they're not saying, oh, I don't know something, uh, but you're not telling me something very specific. And so that leads to doubt and speculation and, you know, everything from these alien spacecraft to something out of Area 51 to, you know, who knows what else, right? Uh, I guess all of those are possibities, but at least tell me, you know, what we do and don't know, right? So I think that's where 
the Biden team really messed up early on. The other criticism was if we knew that this big spy balloon, the very first one, was from China and it's floating so serenely through all this U.S. airspace, why the heck didn't we shoot it down to begin with? Hence this more aggressive approach to the others. Now, in kind of defense of the administration, if I could put it that way, again, radar is looking for a specific type of thing. Uh, They have varying ranges, and the broader kind of surveillance uh, aspect you have on these, the less likely they are to pick up a very small, hard-to-define things. For example, in a military use, a targeting radar is a fairly narrow beam. I'm looking in a specific direction, and I want to get a really strong return so that I can apply a weapon against it, right, mm-hmm. as opposed to just a big surveillance. It's like focusing on something mm-hmm. or just kind of looking around the landscape. And so with this balloon coming across the Pacific Ocean, we don't have a whole lot of radar systems mm-hmm. in the middle of the North Pacific, right? And so it has to get close enough to land before it could even be picked up. Uh, this was probably visually spotted you know, mm-hmm. early on. And so as you start to be aware that there is something there, now you can focus your efforts, maybe send up a high-flying aircraft or a very narrowly defined you know, radar beam to, to get a better idea of what this thing is. And, and so you're going to have these gaps. You know, if our Alaska stations are focused westward towards China or the old Soviet Union, you know, Russia kind of thing, well, once it gets past Alaska, well, who's looking in that direction? Yeah, you know, we don't normally try to collect on Canada, you know, <laughs> and so it gets into the western reaches of Canada, pretty sparsely populated, not a lot there. You don't really start to pick up things again until you're getting down into the lower 48, mm-hmm. you know, and so you are going to have these kind of gaps. You have to reacquire it. You have a sense of the path that it was on, so there's an idea of where to look, but mm-hmm. you still have to find it. Again, it's cold, slow-moving, soft target, and so it just takes a while. So there is some defense of the military community or intel community not picking up on it real quickly, uh, losing track, and then having to reacquire it. But that does not forgive them, mm-hmm. you know, the government, the agencies, uh, for, for not being as forthcoming as possible, mm-hmm. you know, just keeping the public informed. I want to talk a little bit more about one of the objects that was shot down was in Canada. Uh, We were talking before the recording um, and and sort of why the U.S. was responsible for shooting it down. Uh, MSNBC asked White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre about this uh, over the weekend. I just want to play that for you now and get your thoughts on her answer. Why is the American military shooting something out of the sky over Canada. Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD okay. is part of like a it, part of a, it's a, it's a, what you call a coalition, a consortium, a, a, a pact so, of nations. A pact, okay. Exactly. And so that's why we were able to do that. Again, it, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in, in, uh, in, uh, it clearly in, 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 in step with uh, right. Canada. So Dakota, first and foremost, your reaction to the White House press secretary's response? And then also, can you tell us a little bit more about why the U.S. was responsible for shooting uh, this object down that was in Canada? Yeah, it was, wasn't really a confidence-inspiring <laughs> response from the spokesperson for the White House. Uh, clearly wasn't really familiar with what NORAD is. Mm-hmm. So again, it's the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Uh, it it uh, was organized back during the Cold War where Canada and the United States said we both have mutual interest in making sure that old Soviet missiles don't come over the polar cap and destroy our cities. And so there is a joint or a combined co- military command 
where both governments contribute to that, and we share a common airspace, common awareness. So Canada, uh, it's part of that uh, system, picks up on this balloon. Uh, Justin Trudeau, you know, the prime minister over there, uh, says, wow, this is a problem. Uh, we want to take care of it, but we don't have, we Canada don't have the aircraft that can get up to that altitude and then engage this particular target. So Canada has routinely purchased U.S. military aircraft, F-18s, et cetera. Uh, those just can't get to the altitude needed. So we used American F-22 Raptors, which can fly to that altitude uh, to uh, neutralize or kill or destroy, you know, take out this, this evil balloon. Mm -hmm. So that's the explanation. It's a jointly shared command, NORAD. Uh, both sides have various assets that they contribute to that. The F-22 is selected because it's one of the few planes that carries a weapon mm -hmm. that can get to that altitude and then engage that target and bring it down. I was very interested in that because when I saw the news over the weekend, I was wondering, well, why? But there we go. You just answered it for yeah. me. Um, so I also wanted to talk about moving forward. Uh, Lucas Tomlinson, he's a correspondent for Fox News, tweeted on Monday, U.S. fighter jets have shot down three objects over the past three days. NORAD and Pentagon officials told reporters Sunday night they won't rule out more in the coming days. So do you think now that the U.S. is just more aware of these objects, uh, you know, following the Chinese spy uh, balloon incident and these other three objects that we saw? Or is this happening more frequently? Are we seeing this kind of heightened aggression, so to speak, from, yeah. from China? It's probably both. Uh, and I'm reminded, you know, when you buy a new car, mm -hmm. yeah, it's new to you, and then all of a sudden you, you realize how many other people are driving that kind of car because now you're aware of it. Yes, <laughs> you yes. know? And they were probably on the road all the time anyway. Uh, well, now that everybody is aware that mm -hmm. you have these balloons and our radar systems are now tuned to find them where they weren't in the past, uh, these things could have been flying around all the time and just mm -hmm. they never posed a threat. Nobody was concerned about them. Uh, you know, this this uh, Biden White House criticism of the Trump administration mm -hmm. that, oh, there were three or four balloons back in your day and you didn't do anything. Well, the administration, the military is saying we went back to look at past game tapes. Mm -hmm. Now we know what we're looking for. Oh, there was this unidentified thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody thought anything about it. But now we, three years later, We'll call it what we think it was, you know, back then. So there's an enhanced awareness, but you could also have this uh, greater use of these things. So increasing U.S.-China tensions over Taiwan, uh, China could be using this as an opportunity to really conduct some fairly sophisticated surveillance. Why don't you use a satellite? Everybody has them. Mm -hmm. A satellite peers through a huge layer of atmosphere. It's far away from target sites they might want to collect on. A balloon, instead of being 300 miles out in space, is only 60,000 feet mm -hmm. you know, above the Earth. So a balloon gets you closer to the emission sources of various types of energies. The cameras uh, don't have to look through as much atmospheric layer. So it could be that China is just using things like this to look at areas of interest in the United States. You know, uh, intercontinental ballistic missile, ICBM fields, uh, uh, B-2, which is our stealth bomber uh, base at uh, Whitman uh, Air Force Base in Missouri, naval ports on the eastern seacoast. So it could be a combination. You know, we're, we're aware, so now we're looking more. Right. And have tuned our tools to find 
there also could be a, a heightened use of these things. And, and I think it's also useful to re- recall that in the weather balloon world, mm-hmm. something like 1,800 of these are launched every single day. Wow. So most of them are fairly low altitude, short range, you know, temperature gradients, pressure differences, you know, is it raining or not? I mean, you know, weather, uh, wind patterns. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to go to 60,000 feet and fly halfway around the world. But it gives you an idea of how many of these silly objects are floating around in the atmosphere, right? Yes, it, that's crazy. I didn't realize that many weather balloons every day. That's a... Uh... That's crazy. I didn't even know that. Yeah, Yeah. and and it's, you know, again, these altitudes. You know, Mm -hmm. what can you go up and get at that uh, height? How easy or difficult it is to find? How many of these things? So there's just a lot of variables involved here. Mm -hmm. Everybody's fixated on balloons. Wow, four in ten days. Is it an alien invasion, (laughs) you know, uh, coming in? Or is this just a heightened great power competition Mm -hmm. thing? Uh, Are they some college students? Right, that are kind of pranking the system. So you got a group, maybe they're in India or Nepal or Japan or whatever, and they let this balloon up into the atmosphere. They float. They see the crazy reaction from the Americans, you know, and the news media going nuts. That yeah. could be the case. It's just that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so there is a risk of speculation, uh, hysteria, mm-hmm. uh, really overreacting, and yet you cannot ignore yes. the potential threat. Mm-hmm. You know, this uh, one-ton box suspended beneath a balloon, well, maybe it's a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's uh, an, uh, an electromagnetic, you know, an EMP, electromagnetic pulse source device that blacks out uh, power grids and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are real dangers out in the world, and that's why we have to be careful at this and can't just dismiss it, but that doesn't mean that every balloon poses, you know, a ginormous threat. I just speaking of a ginormous threat, I want to talk about the U.S.'s relationship with China now after this balloon incident, and what does this mean for you know the United States's relationship with China? Um, you know, are are we potentially heading for a war? With China. You know, one of the more concerning reports out of this whole thing uh, is the fact that the Pentagon rang up their buddies over in China, you know, a hotline, and said, we're concerned about this thing, whatever it is, and nobody on the Chinese side answered the phone. Wow. Okay. So even during the heights of the Cold War, you know, our U.S. Pentagon and their counterparts in the Soviet Union would at least keep these communication lines open. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got communication lines with Russia as it continues to be involved in the war in Syria, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So these ability to talk to each other really helps to uh, mitigate the risk of misinterpreting something or a road to war or something along those lines. So when the other side doesn't even pick up the phone, what does that say? Mm -hmm. And to me, it it says they're either trying to play the United States, they think the Biden team is weak, and so who cares what, you know, the White House and the U.S. says. Um, All those, it's a recipe for disaster, Mm -hmm. right? So we have had increasing tensions over Taiwan. As the U.S. has been involved in European affairs, especially with Russia's assault of, mm-hmm. of uh, Ukraine, you know, we're focusing kind of in that direction. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the balloon thing, right? You know, which direction are you looking in? So maybe there's an opportunity mm-hmm. that China senses uh, for a distracted U.S. to not be in the Indo-Pacific. And, you know, maybe they would make a move against Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of playing this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they aren't uh, open on lines of communication. So mm-hmm. there is a risk. Does that result in war next week? Who knows? Mm-hmm. C- could war never happen? Absolutely. But you can't guarantee any one of those outcomes. And so talking is very helpful. 
having a military and intelligence community that's robust enough to do more than one thing at a time uh, is also very helpful. Well, just speaking of our military, the Chinese spy balloon incident comes after polling revealed nearly 70 percent of active military members have witnessed politicization in the military, and 65 percent of active duty military members are somewhat or very concerned about this development. And that's according to the National Independent Panel on Military Service and Readiness. So, Dakota, can you tell us a little bit about this poll? And and are you surprised to see such a high percentage of active military members saying that they witnessed this? Yeah, so the commission was helped, you know, put together by the Heritage Foundation and some great colleagues, you know, in Congress to really look at this problem. You know, we talk about wokeism and, you know, gender identity things and, um, uh, lowering military standards so that you have more people that are making the cut because you lowered the cut line. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does all this lead? And so uh, this commission was put together to look at these factors. You know, why is it w- that services have such a difficult time recruiting? Mm-hmm. You know, I th- most of the services did not make their recruiting goals this past year, and the forecast is fairly bleak, right? So what's going into all this stuff? And so the survey was done. Uh, people in the military, what do you think about the military? And, and to the point that you made, uh, they just hate the fact that all of this stuff is kind of being forced on the military from the political establishment, okay? So it, it seems to be White House top-down directed. Uh, some of these initiatives come from Congress via legislation, uh, you know, opening roles or uh, uh, service opportunities to communities in the United States that previously would not have been eligible uh, for a great variety of legitimate reasons. But when you're in the military and you see uh, standards being lowered or slipping, uh, you're forced to attend, um, <clears throat> I don't know, gender awareness, you know, training classes when you'd rather be out, you know, fixing the tank or flying the plane and all that, it really sours your perception. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's not like you can say no. I don't want to do that. You know, military folks, men and women, you know, salute smartly, and they're mm-hmm. going to execute uh, to the best of their ability. So, compounding this, then, is you have presidential appointees, right, who were put in as the service secretaries or key Defense Department officials, and you do have some politicization within the uh, general officer and the admiralty, you know, uh, flag officers within the Navy. And sometimes you find somebody that wants to climb the ranks mm-hmm. by currying favor in political ways. And so they will uh, kind of work this to their advantage. I mean, the military isn't immune to these sorts of things that also afflict other sectors of America. It's just people. You know, it's popular yeah. with people. And so this perspective of, of a hyper-politicization of the military, which is supposed to be apolitical, really rings hollow. You know, it, it, it causes friction within the force. People then think about getting out early instead of staying for a career or not re-enlisting, you know, or re-upping. And, and when that happens, it makes the recruiting scene, you know, bringing new people in that much more challenged. And so the results of the survey say we've got some warning lights, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and bells and sirens sounding in all these areas. Well, Dakota, thank you so much for joining me today. We discussed a lot. I appreciate all of your insight, and I would love to have you back on in the future. Hopefully no more objects will be shot down, (laughs) but that remains to be seen. So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dakota Wood. We will, of course, keep you all updated should there be a fifth object that the U.S. shoots down. Of course, you can follow all of those updates on the Daily Signal's website. And you can also be sure to tune in this afternoon for our top news show. And if you haven't gotten a chance, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great Valentine's Day, and we'll be back with you all this afternoon for top news. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.